This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Paxson Jeancake on planning scripture-based worship throughout the Christian year. Paxson Jeancake is Director of Worship at Covenant Church in Palm Bay, Florida. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2022 General Assembly. Let's listen as Paxson shares on planning scripture-based worship. So this is, uh, the title is uh, Stewarding God's Story, uh, Planning Scripture-Based Worship Throughout the Christian Year. Uh, My name is Paxson Jeancake. I'm the Director of Worship at Covenant uh, church in uh, Palm Bay, Florida, and uh, I just wanted to take a few minutes and unpack just the title even, just to kind of level set us and put us on the same page to a certain degree. Stewarding God's story, planning scripture-based worship throughout the Christian year. So stewarding, right, implies that we're not rock stars, uh, we're shepherds, right, we're pastors, we're stewards, we should see our role in that way. God's story, so you can think of the, the grand narrative of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, you can think of the life of Christ, right, uh, his birth, death, resurrection, sending the Holy Spirit, ascension, um, and the gospel, right, the gospel, that's our story, right, that's what we're called to steward. The word planning, right, it implies that this is a weekly intentional coordination of both people and resources, right? Worship, or scripture-based, we don't make this up, right? We are both informed by scripture and we incorporate scripture throughout our our corporate worship times. Uh, This definition of worship from Constance Cherry, that worship at its fundamental level is simply a conversation between God and God's chosen people, right? Throughout implies there's a rhythm to this worship, right? There's an annual rhythm, there's a weekly rhythm, it's a journey. And then finally, the Christian year, uh, this is this ancient means of telling God's story, and we're going to talk talk about that as we go along. A few quick definitions, again, from Constance Cherry. She's the author of The Worship Architect, a great book. I'd highly recommend that. She says that corporate worship is what happens when the body of Christ assembles to hear with one heart and speak with one voice the words, praises, prayers, petitions, and thanks fitting to Christian worship. And I love this uh, definition from Frame, that worship is the work of acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. And this is my own. Uh, Worship is our whole life response to God's self-revelation. It remembers God's story through actions and expressions in sacred time, leads to our edification, and is formative, renewing our heart and mind. And by the way, I'm going to try to get through this material, but I'm going to save questions for the end, if that's okay. If you've got a burning question, 
go ahead and, and raise your hand. We'll try to answer it, but I would like to try to get through the material so that we can save time at the end. You may be familiar with this Latin phrase, but thinking of the formative character of worship, lex orandi, lex credendi, that literally means the law of prayer is the law of belief. Have some of you all heard that phrase? Very important phrase. Uh, to kind of extrapolate and expound on it a little bit more, it's not just the prayers, but the prayers that we pray, the songs, the lyrics that we sing, the words that we hear through the public reading of scripture, the, the sermons, the sacraments, and the physical partaking of those, all of those actions are formative, right? Um, so we need to be aware of that. And with that, and if you, one of the things I want you to remember from this seminar with that in mind, how are we forming our people, right? We have this daunting task of, of planning worship each and every week. It's a privilege, it's an honor, but we, take, we should take that in a sober way because we're, we're, we're forming our own people, right? So we shouldn't be asking, how are we wowing our people? You know, I think that sometimes that people wouldn't necessarily say that, but sometimes we might do things to get, you know, what's something fresh or what's something that will kind of wow our, our people. Not that innovation you know, can be a good thing, but at the primary question is how are we forming our people, okay? Um, this is in my first book. I talked about this more at length, but um, I believe a worship leader to some degree uh, should be able to think like a theologian, labor like an artist, and shepherd like a pastor. And for the, the time today, it really, that shepherding like a pastor um, is, is a prominent theme. Constance Cherry in her book, The Music Architect, uh, separate from The Worship Architect, but she goes into great length about the pastoral musician. Lots of great stuff to mine there. If you haven't read either one of those, I'd highly recommend both of those if you're a worship leader or involved in worship planning. Three, three more um, items here, content, structure, and style. So these are three, three great words to keep in mind as you think about worship in your own context. What's the content of our worship? We've mentioned this already. It's the story of God. It's the grand meta-narrative of redemption, right? It's the gospel. Now, you may not know this um, when you think about structure. Um, I'm going to advocate the, what's known as the fourfold order. I don't know, if maybe show of hands. How many of you have heard of this fourfold order of gathering, word, table, sending? Okay. Um, Robert Weber, I think, is one that's kind of made that more popular, but it's an ancient uh, structure with really word and table at the center of worship and then gathering and sending, kind of bracketing that. So it goes way back. I mean, like Justin Martyr and the Didache and different ancient documents, uh, first and second centuries, that kind of lay out the structure, and you can see the church using it throughout the centuries. But I have found it to be a very helpful model to structure worship, gathering word. And if you don't celebrate the table, we don't. We, we celebrate the sacrament, you know, maybe once a month. But you have to have, you want to respond to the word, right? So gathering word, response, sending, right? Um, and we'll, we'll mention that a little bit later in the seminar. Thirdly is style. Right? Sometimes we elevate style and begin to talk about that first and a lot of times in worship conversations, but really content and structure in my mind are more uh, fundamental. Style is, is more, you know, here, it's the way in which you carry out the substance or the content of the conversation with God. It should arise from your own culture and, and local context, right? But content and structure are really important and, and they, they transcend style, right? Those first two transcend style. Okay, so now we'll start to move more into this whole idea of scripture base. So I just want to give you a few, few uh, nuggets from my own journey with this. And I'm going to talk about the challenge, the need, and then the inspiration. So first of all, the challenge. 
Uh, I've had a conversation already today with um, about a, um, a man named Wade Williams. Wade was the first worship leader at Perimeter Church way back in the day. Wade was a mentor to many worship leaders in, in the Atlanta area and beyond. And uh, I was one of those that had the privilege of being under Wade for a number of years. He passed away in 2014, but I'll never forget 20 some odd years ago in a class with him, he wrote on a whiteboard the number 52 and circled it and then just stood there for a minute, right? What do you think is the significance of that number? The challenge, right, of planning creative, vibrant, God-honoring worship services Sunday after Sunday, 52 Sundays, year after year. Again, a joy and a privilege, but it's a challenge, right, to keep, to kind of stay fresh, to kind of hear from God, to plan, right? It's, you know, it, it comes around every Sunday, right? Um, but that's our challenge, the need. So, again, something that I'm passionate about is stewarding God's story as worship planners, Right? A second thing I feel like, there's an irony in the church today where um, I feel like as in the modern evangelical church, we would all hold up uh, the role of scripture in a prominent place, a high value in scripture. And yet my sense is there's not a lot of scripture woven throughout the fabric of a given worship service. In my own context, at, at different times, this only scripture read might be a call to worship and then the sermon text before the message. I mean, that might be, you know, the only time that you get scripture read in the service. So my heart and part of why, you know, I wrote this and why I'm doing this seminar is the need for more scripture to be woven throughout our worship services and hear this, letting its language, its narrative, its metaphors, themes, teachings, truths, and paradigms form and shape us week after week, right? That's what I think is what's utterly profound, um, uh, about having scripture saturated services is we let its power, its narratives form and shape us. All right, and then thirdly, the inspiration. So for me, I began to use uh, uh, what I call lectionary-based resources, okay? Um, during my time in California, I think it's when I first started to use those, between like 08, 2008, and 2013. At our church there at Valley Springs, uh, the first slide up on, a, on any given service would kind of anchor us in the, in the Sunday in the Christian year, fourth Sunday after Pentecost, you know, third Sunday of Advent, whatever it might be. So we, we kind of, we weren't, we were not high liturgy at all, <laughs> but we valued the cycles and seasons of the Christian year. And our pastor kind of modeled that, you know, he anchored each Sunday and where, where we were in the Christian year. And he might make mention of that. Um, so I think because of that, I started to um, uh, kind of dabble in some lectionary uh, based resources. One was feasting on the word. Another was simply revised common lectionary prayers but I wasn't real intentional about, about using the lectionary uh, at that time. More recently, uh, say around 2018, I'll put this up here, um, two things inspired me. The first was Bach. Any Bach fans out there? <laughs> okay, so man, so think back 1723, 1724, 1725, Bach was cranking out a cantata, a 15 minute cantata Sunday after Sunday based on the lectionary of his day, which was a Luther, Luther-based lectionary. So Luther, you know, he, he didn't abandon the lectionary. In his reforms, he embraced that. He, he kind of cleaned it up a bit and took out a lot of the saint days and things like that. But he kept the Christian year and he kept the lectionary. His home postile and his church postile are, to, are basically commentaries that were circulated during his time to pastors and to uh, the congregants, you know, all there, all around Germany. 
um, based on the lectionary. And his lectionary was a one-year lectionary, and it just consisted of a gospel and an epistle. Okay? Um, 200 years later, Bach comes around. He loved Luther. He's very much inf influenced by Luther and created a cantata week based on the readings for each week in the, in the lectionary cycle. Um, but I loved his passion and his goal. So he wanted for years, and it was finally when he got to Leipzig in 1723, that he was able to uh, actualize this goal of creating a well-regulated church music to the glory of God. I mean, that was Bach's, I would, you know, I don't think, think it's safe to say, kind of his life passion and goal to create a well-regulated church music to the glory of God. So I tried, I took that on myself and tried to write a song each week. It didn't last very long. <laughs> um, I mean, and, they, and they, it's just amazing when you think about the productivity, uh, seriously, back in that day, without notation software and all, that, all the resources we have today. It's pretty amazing. But what I did start doing and this brings me to the second. So the book, I would highly encourage you to, to uh, highly recommend this book as well. F. Russell Mittman wrote a book in 2000, 2001 called Worship in the Shape of Scripture. And I actually came across this, as a, it was a footnote in Constance Cherry's book, The Worship Architect. And I read the footnote and Constance said, this book has been very formative you know, in my life. I'm like, well, if it's been formative in her life, I got to check this out. And I read it, and I was very much uh, influenced by it. So his basic paradigm in that book is from lectionary to liturgy. So in the same way that as pastors, as preachers, um, homiletically, you know, you start with this scripture, and you craft a sermon. Well, Mittman's whole thing is, as worship planners, start with scripture, plan your liturgy, right? And he, so he, and it's not, it's not a technical term at this point, but he uses the term organic liturgy. I love that. So, an organic, organic liturgy is one that flows from the themes and language of Scripture. Does that, does that make sense? You guys tracking with me so far? Uh, so I was just really inspired by both Bach and Mittman, you know, Bach's passion. And what I would say, what I set out to kind of do is craft not just a well-regulated church music, but well-regulated uh, worship resources <laughs> to the glory of God. So around spring of 2018, uh, each Monday I would craft, uh, started crafting a call to worship, a prayer, and an affirmation of faith based on the lectionary readings for that Sunday. Um, yeah, before, I, well, I'll get to this more. Yeah, and so that, that, but it was kind of from that inspiration of worship in the shape of scripture and a well-regulated, you know, thinking of how worship forms our people to be very intentional about, about it being scripture-based and scripture-saturated. So some of you might be asking, well, what is a lectionary? <laughs> and I was, we were just talking to, I was talking to a few guys uh, earlier before the seminar started. I want, I, my, one of my hopes today is that when you leave, you won't think that the word lectionary is a bad word. <laughs> it's like a four-letter word, I think, in some circles, you know. And I hope to deconstruct that a little bit, okay? I don't come from a, um, I was raised in a Baptist church. I went to an Episcopal elementary school where I went to chapel twice a week. So I do have some Anglican, you know, ties in that way. But I've come, so I didn't grow up around this, and I'm not at a church now. I have never been in a church that used the lectionary in its preaching. Um, but I still think it can be of great value, and I'll, hopefully you'll understand why. So at its core, a lectionary is simply a collection of readings or selections from the scriptures arranged and intended for proclamation, it's an important word, during the worship of the people of God, right? Gospel proclamation. Well, what's the revised common lectionary? Any, anyone heard of that? The RCL, the Revised Common Lectionary? Okay. I actually got a copy. This is the 2012 version. Um, it's the 20th anniversary. If you want to take a look at it and what that looks like, 
got a copy here, but the RCL was first published in 1992. Uh, it contains readings for the Sundays and major festivals over a three-year cycle. So there's year A, year B, year C. And let me just say, this whole idea of electionary, actually some believe it goes back to, has Jewish roots. That when Jesus stood up, you know, and early there in Luke to read from the scroll, that perhaps th there were pericopes even there from the old scrolls, right, that he would read. Some don't believe that, but it's, it's, it's plausible, right? Certainly by the fourth century, we had, we had designated pericopes for different fest major festivals in the Christian year, that sort of thing, and uh, to tell the story, right, to relive and um, to actively remember the story. So, it's, so the reason it's called the revised comic, because there was a common lectionary, I think in 82, 83. There's been a number of them over the, over the years. Like I mentioned, the Luther uh, lectionary, uh, again, before, you know, in more recent times, in the more medieval, it was a one-year lectionary. The revised common lectionary, though, crafted in 1992, it's a three-year lectionary. For each Sunday and for special days in the Christian year, the RCL assigns a group of four readings, okay? So, so get this, um, for every Sunday in the Christian year, there's an Old Testament reading, the first reading, right? Then there's a psalm of response. So the psalm is meant to respond to that first reading, that Old Testament reading. Then there's a New Testament epistle, and then a gospel reading, okay, for every Sunday. Now, the gospel reading is the governing or primary text, okay? I love this phrase. It's, it's, it's referred to as the hermeneutical key to understanding the other three readings, okay? So the Old Testament reading is chosen to either complement or contrast, some, in some way elucidate, right, uh, the gospel. Now think about this. Jesus himself did this with the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, right? He looked back and he pointed to how he was a fulfillment in the law, the prophets, and the writings. And that's what they talked about, how there were not our hearts burning inside of us when he was talking about. So there's clearly connections, right, between the old and the new. Um, year A is centered in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Year B is centered in the gospel of Mark. Your C is rooted, uh, centered in uh, Luke, and then John is sort of woven throughout, okay? Um, but here's what, here's what I have found to be a great value. The RCL offers a steady diet of Scripture from both Old and New Testaments. It follows the cycles and seasons of the Christian year, and it forms us spiritually as we feast on God's Word, all right? So... Um, as I mentioned, 2018, starting to craft a prayer, call to worship and affirmation of faith. Um, was able to publish this. So this has the, what I call worship aids, call to worship, prayer, and affirmation of faith. I've been working for the past year and a half on writing a devotion for each Sunday in the Christian year over the three-year cycle as well. And if you, you, there's a, I've got a sheet actually that you can sign up, or if you go to our homepage on our website, I'll have, I'll have that later. But you can go to paxtonandallison.com or rhythmofworship.com, and I put a button right on the homepage that says subscribe to receive weekly worship resources. So if you hit that, you can subscribe, and you'll get um, each Monday that devotion, okay? I'm also in the process of curating a songbook of psalms, hymns, and original worship songs that are also connected to scriptures to each Sunday in the Christian year. And, and I have physical copies of those in the back. They're also available online as well. But the idea is to have, again, a well-regulated worship resources, right, that are scripture-based. Um, but the idea with the devotion is you could uh, read that, start to get your heart and mind around the four readings, the scripture readings. You have the worship aids at your context, and you can use that to begin your worship planning each week. You don't have to start from scratch, right? Okay. 
So here are four meaningful ways that you can, in general, use the lectionary or even more particularly use this book, Lectionary Journey. This is the meat and potatoes of our time. Uh, four things. The first one, I believe it can be a great annual guide for stewarding God's story, a great weekly guide for planning corporate worship, a steady rhythm for spiritual growth and formation, and an ecumenical resource that fosters community within the body of Christ. This is a quote from my book. Uh, so as worship planners, we're called to steward God's story. Jesus is at the heart of this story, his birth, his life, his crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, sending the Holy Spirit and future return. In worship, we remember, recall, and appropriate these events and realities. We do this in part by following the cycles and seasons of the Christian year. So here it is. How many of you have ever seen uh, an image or a graphic like this before? Some of you maybe. Um, yeah, there's a, big, a great book that uh, John um, Elliott Gardner, I believe that's uh, Gardner, but uh, he wrote on Box Life and, and he used this kind of diagram and has uh, all of Box Cantatas linked to each of those Sundays. So you can see the seasons there and the colors are identified as the colors for that season as well. So I'm sure you're familiar, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and this long season after Pentecost. One way to think about the Christian year is the half year of Christ. So that's the right-hand side, right? So his birth, right? Life, death, resurrection. And then the half year of the church or the half year of the spirit. That's another way to think. Yeah. So um, actually at Valley Springs in California, we did a series during this long season after Pentecost one year called Life in the Spirit, you know? Um, but that's what it looks like. Now, each of those, each of these slices, right? Through the Sunday, <laughs> Right. So, um, but again, it, it gives intentionality uh, to this. Now, here's some verbiage for each of these. Now, I want you to just put on your worship planner hat for a second here, your pastoral hat. Um, as I'm kind of read through these, imagine yourself standing at the pulpit on a given Sunday or at the mic, if you're a worship leader or whatever, and you're using this to frame a given Sunday morning or a given season that you're about to enter, okay? So you might say something like, church, we begin the season of Advent, right? We're starting a whole new Christian year. We're going on this journey as we tell and remember the life of Christ. Advent's a time of preparation, church. It's a season to remember Christ's first coming and to anticipate his return. So in the lectionary, the first two readings really are on the second coming. It's not till you get further in and you talk about John the Baptist, then you get to more of the actual incarnation in Bethlehem, right? But they, they highlight in the readings both Advents, right? So, I mean, you'll, 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 hopefully things are starting to kind of come to mind, but like the lectionary actually helps us do due diligence to, to the seasons, you know? It's not just one day, and it's not tied up with our cultural type of celebration, you know? It helps us focus on the second coming, you know, and all these different as, uh, aspects and facets of Christ's life. Christmas, uh, time to remember and celebrate the incarnation, to retell and reorient ourselves around the reality that God put on flesh and walked among us. Epiphany, this may not be one that you recognize or celebrate. Um, a, this is simply a season to remember Christ's manifestation. That's what that word means, that how he was man, manifested himself to the world. So when we go into the season, I'll often tell our folks, you know, church, we've celebrated, you know, we anticipated Christ's birth, we celebrated his birth, and now we want to ask, who is this, this child that was born in Bethlehem, right? So during this time, we recall the Magi who came to see him his baptism in the Jordan River, his miracle at Cana as he turned water to wine. And then the last Sunday in Epiphany is always transfiguration of the Lord, right? How many of you have preached a sermon on the transfiguration, you know? 
few of you. So it gives you, again, the lectionary gives you, it has places in here to preach on things that you might not otherwise. Um, let me say, though, and I'm going to say this again, but again, you don't have to use the lectionary in your preaching for this to be of great value, though. Lent, this, like Advent, this is a season of preparation and repentance. Forty days, not, not counting Sundays, to intentionally examine our lives and consider the idols of our heart. As we go into the season, again, we don't make a big to-do about Lent, but I'll acknowledge it. Sometimes we'll have devotions for people. But I'll say, church, this is an intentional time for us to really ask, what has too tight a grip on my, you know, in my life? What's something I need to, you know, an addiction that I need to really go to God with and repent of, you know, just whatever that might be. It gives us an intentional season to do that. We can do that anytime, of course, but it's a place for us to be intentional. Holy Week is the culmination of the Lenten season in which we remember Christ's triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, institution of the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, and his death on the cross at Good Friday. Easter, time to celebrate our risen Lord and spend 50 days. So this might be something new. If you haven't celebrated what's known as Eastertide, or the great 50 days. So like Christmas, Easter is a season. Um, this is when we can remember his post-resurrection appearances. Lot to mind there. A lot of great narratives around his post-resurrection appearances leading up to his return to the Father as we celebrate Ascension and ascending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Now by a show of hands, how many of you celebrate Ascension Sunday? That, yeah, that's about what I figured. How many of you celebrate uh, Pentecost Sunday? Okay, And then the season after Pentecost, this is a long season that includes Trinity Sunday and culminates in Christ the King. And again, throughout the season, though, you can highlight the, the power of, of, of the Spirit working through the church, right? And the, and the power of the Spirit uh, himself. These are just a few scriptures kind of taken from the sweep of, of the canon, you know, that speak into remembering and telling the story. You can think of the Old Testament Shema. Right, Moses basically writing for us to immerse ourselves right in the story. Um, King Josiah during this time, this has been something really powerful and profound to me. They lost the story in one generation. They lost the story. Remember, Hilkiah found the book of the law, right? And he brought it to Josiah and they ushered in an amazing time of revival, right? That's what's sobering to me as a worship planner. That's why I keep saying this. I feel like I, I feel it's partly my responsibility to help steward God's story in my own generation, to my own congregation, to my own children, to the next generation, because I don't want it to be lost, right? And not, and what I mean is the whole story of redemption. Uh, you can think of the psalmists. I love that the psalmists were like uh, covenant storytellers, you know, Psalm 145 is how we'll uh, tell of God's, you know, mighty deeds from one generation to another, Right. Uh, Jesus used the narratives of Scripture uh, to ward off the enemy's temptations. This is that narrative there, Luke 24, where he pointed to the, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, took them back to the sweep of redemption in the Old Testament, and, and pointed to himself in all those texts. Here's what another thing I want to uh, really want you to leave here not forgetting is Paul's exhortation to the Colossians. This is on the, one of the first few pages of the book. You know, he exhorted them, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's read that first part together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your heart. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. How are we letting the word of Christ dwell in our people richly? Two questions. I want to, how are we forming our people, right? As worship planners, that's hugely important. 
How are we letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us, right? Okay, so you might be asking, so why is remembering and celebrating these events so important? You know, Paxson, why are you so passionate about this? You know, here's three reasons, okay? Three things. Um, I believe it's the celebrating the Christian year ensures that we tell the whole gospel story. Um, we we kind of joke a lot of times, I'm sure, about C&Es, right? Christmas and Easter people, right? Why do they come then? Because those are really the two main festivals that we celebrate, right? It hasn't always been that way. This is what's really profound to me. It hasn't always been that way. So back in 2005, and I'm looking at Chuck back here. It's so cool. Um, he gave me a book when we were uh, in Atlanta called Christ in the Psalms by Patrick Reardon. So I was leaving from my home in Woodstock, Georgia, to the church office in East Cobb there in the Atlanta area one day back in 2005. And I must have been reading Psalm 24 as a devotion that morning. But I had, as a songwriter, oftentimes the lyric and melody come as a fragment, maybe just a chorus or something, but it comes at one time. Well, driving in my car the 15 minutes from Woodstock to East Cobb, I had this song going through my head. And it was based on Psalm 24, the language of lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in, right? So when I got to the church office, I pulled off Chuck's book because when I ever I start to write a song, I kind of try to do a little deep dive with some commentaries and just get my mind around for lyrics, right? So I'm reading this um, commentary on Psalm 24, and I'll never forget this. I mean, it had a profound effect on me. Patrick Reardon said, regarding Christ's ascension, again, it's a commentary on Psalm 24, he said the disciples saw his going, right? He said, but Psalm 24 is like a prophetic window into his heavenly arrival, I mean, it's like a coronation ceremony. Who Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you know, you ancient doors. The king of glory may come in, right? Um, Henry Nouwen did a whole book on the return of the prodigal son, which is basically a meditation on the painting by Rembrandt. But part of what he talks about how is Jesus himself was the prodigal son that came to earth, that lived a life, and then returned back to the father, you know? Guys, these are powerful concepts. And I remember thinking that day, standing there in my office in Atlanta, wow, I've never understood Psalm 24 that way. It totally opened up this psalm. And right on the cusp of that was, wow, I've never heard a sermon, sang a hymn, read a blog, read a book on the ascension of Christ. And it begged the question, why is that? And I don't think it's the only thing, but I think one of the big reasons is because we don't celebrate that festival. Now, we've got a ton of Christmas songs, carols, right? A whole tradition of Christmas carols. We've got a ton of resurrection songs and hymns. Why? Because we celebrate those festivals, right? I think that because we don't really celebrate ascension, we don't have a consciousness for an ascended Christ. We have a virgin-born Christ consciousness. We have a crucified Christ consciousness. We have a resurrected Christ, and we have a riding in on a white horse, Christ consciousness. But I would dare say we don't have an ascended Christ consciousness. Now, think about this too, regarding the festival. This is Augustine, all right, writing in the fourth century, talking about this, the a festival of the ascension. This is that festival which confirms the grace of all the festivals together, without which the profitableness of every festival would have perished. For unless the Savior had ascended into heaven, his nativity would have come to nothing, his passion would have borne no fruit for us, and his most holy resurrection would have been useless. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Um, now, uh, so it was definitely a prominent festival back in the day. Luke Acts, 
takes up a quarter of the New Testament, just in word count alone, okay? Um, now, I was always told in, in seminary, in seminary, whatever's at the center of a chiasm is very important to the author. So during this whole time in 2005, when I was doing a deep dive in the Ascension, I read an article by Kenneth Wolfe describing Luke-Acts as having a chiastic structure and how the Ascension is, the, is at the center of this chiastic structure. So you can think of Jesus being born in a Roman context. Uh, the travel narrative in Luke starts in 951. He moves through Judea, Samaria. He gets to Jerusalem. He ascends. Acts picks up with the ascension. The disciples are in Jerusalem. After the, uh, Stephen's martyr, right, they scatter throughout Judea, Samaria. And then we have Paul in prison in Rome. So you go from A, B, C, D is the ascension, and then C prime, B prime, A prime. You follow, you follow that? Here's the profound thing. A quarter of the New Testament, Luke-Acts, two-volume work, with the ascension as the chiastic center of that two-volume work. So in Luke's mind and heart, the ascension was really profound. I mean, it's, you could argue it's the center of one quarter of the New Testament. And yet when it comes to celebrating it, not much, you know. Last thing on that, and I'll move on. But in the 16th century, Calvin had a robust uh, view of the ascension. So when they had all the debates about uh, the Eucharist, right, the sacrament, this is my body. I mean, it was those words, this is my body. Calvin gave what we, to this day, um, celebrate as the spiritual presence of Christ in the sacrament. He stood on the shoulders of Augustine with a robust doctrine of the ascension, and he said he is not here because he sits there at the right hand of the Father. He's in a local sphere, you know, glorified body, but still incarnate body. So he had a robust doctrine of the ascension. All that to say, following the cycles and seasons of the Christian year makes, in, helps ensure that we tell the whole story so that we're forming our people, not to just be Christmas and Easter, incarnation and resurrection people, but incarnation, crucifixion and death, resurrection, ascension and present intercession, and sending of the Holy Spirit, present advocate, and then return one day. I think it's, I mean, on one hand, I think this is an enemy's tactic to have us make, to minimize the present ministry of Christ, because that's where the power is for us today, right? So I've done this since our time in Atlanta, since 2005. At every church, we've, we've, done, we've celebrated the Ascension. I've done a call to artists, so I've done, put out a call to our artists to engage with the theme of Pentecost and the Ascension to produce songs and poems and artwork to help create in our congregations an ascended Christ consciousness and a Holy Spirit consciousness. That meant you, you with me on that? We're forming our people, guys, right? We want to form them with the whole gospel. We want them to know the present ministry of Christ and the Holy Spirit in a robust way as Augustine and Calvin and many others before us have. The second one's clear here. Celebrating the Christian year inspires our artists. Think where Bach would have been if Luther didn't, you know, follow the cycles and seasons and have the lectionary. You know, they put St. Matthew's passion up in space, that if there was extraterrestrial life, that would be what they'd find was Bach's St. Matthew's passion. You know, I mean, it's a, an incredible work of art. Uh, this is a piece by one of our own. Um, she, it's a girl, Kimber Penland. She did this triptych uh, this past Easter. And it's just a way to visually represent, you know, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. Um... Okay, thirdly, uh, celebrating the Christian year helps teach the next generation. I could say more about that, but I wanna, I'm going to move on. Um, you know, just the physically, like waving palm branches, 
uh, lighting Advent candles, putting colored cloth, you know, red cloth on the cross for Pentecost or black cloth for Good Friday, a white cloth for Easter, all these different things. Children might say, Mommy, Daddy, why do we wave palm branches? Why do we blow candles? Why do we extinguish candles on Good Friday? And it helps you, it allows you to t- tell the story, right? All right. <clears throat> it can serve, again, the lectionary or lectionary journey can be a weekly guide for planning corporate worship. So for years, my worship planning involved several independent and sometimes unrelated choices. Um, I found myself spending a lot of time searching for a psalm as a call to worship or for a scripture reading or prayer that would flow out of a couple of opening songs. I used to comb through resources looking for an affirmation of faith based on the sermon text for the day. <sighs> this is, a, you know, I don't know if you think, but because I would start with one text, the sermon text, and then I try to find these different things to go with that. Here's a, here's a, my friend Scott Saul, he was a Furman graduate, um, and I just love that guy. But he wrote the foreword to this book, Lectionary Journey. Here's what Scott had to say. The older I get, the less creative I become in my life of worship and prayer. Likewise, the less pressure I feel to bring my best to God as if he was somehow measuring my prayers with a yardstick. <laughs> I have made this shift because of a later in life discovery, hear this, of the rich tradition of church liturgy built around the words of scripture and the rhythms of the church calendar. The benefit of this approach is that formative devotion from the outside, shaped by the words of God, takes the place of innovative prayer from the inside, shaped by the insights of man. This is a wonderful way of ensuring that the whole counsel of God is not only preached from our pulpits, but also through our worship and devotional liturgies. Amen, amen, Brother Scott. (laughs) I love the way he verbalized that. Uh, A later in life, you know, shift, discovery of the rich tradition of church liturgy built around the words of scripture and the rhythms of the church calendar. So today, and for the past, you know, number of years, um, these are the, the, when I come in each week to plan worship, this is where I start. The first place I start, the overarching, the macro place is God's story. Where, Where are we in the story? Where are we in the Christian year, right? What season is it? What Sunday is it? That already anchors me and orients me in a profound way. Then I ask, what's my pastor's sermon text? What's the sermon series? Where are we in the book of Acts in this sermon series or in the Gospel of Mark? Wherever we are, right? Um, And then thirdly, where are we in terms of our congregational life? Where's the world? Are we in a global pandemic? Are we, you know, all kinds of, but that's the third. And I'd say, I start again with God's story, sermon text, and then think, local culture and, and, and world context. And all three of those inform my worship planning, right? Um, so going back to this fourfold order. So I feel mainly what I steward is the gather of that fourfold gathering word, response, sending. My two main areas are the gathering and the response, right? My pastor chooses his own sermon text, his own sermon series, and he gives that benediction at the end, right? But what I really steward is that gathering and response. And I'm sure that's what a lot of you worship leaders and worship planners put energy into as well. The, re- the revised common lectionary can inform all aspects, all the different elements in those four movements of the worship service, all right? Call to worship, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession, prayer for illumination, the sermon, um, affirmations of faith, testimonies, offerings, sending. So I use Planning Center. It's kind of my online hub, right, to plan worship. And I actually organize each plan each week by that fourfold order. Gathering, then I, we actually call it, I call it congregational life or ministry highlight, but then word and sending. So you can see here, call to worship, a couple of prayers of adoration, right, and praise, maybe a prayer of confession or renewal, followed by a song of response. And then um, again, we might have, we have some announcements, kind of congregational life stuff, maybe a ministry highlight, public reading of scripture, sermon, and then we transition again. And then here we might have a song, we might go into time of intercessory prayer. 
uh, but we're responding and then we're sent. All right, so what I wanted to do is just kind of um, with this idea of scripture-based worship, just do a couple of these live with you. So we're going to use March 27th. This was the fourth Sunday in Lent. Um, this past year, the lectionary readings were from Joshua 5, Psalm 32, 2 Corinthians 5, and Luke 15. So this one in, in this book for that day, I chose Psalm 32. So you guys will read what's in bold type. So imagine we're starting our service. Church, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Together, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Right? And then uh, same Sunday, fourth Sunday in Lent, this was crafted, this prayer of confession from Psalm 32 and Luke 15. So imagine we've just sung a couple of songs. Church, as we've called our hearts, we've been called to confess before the Lord. Let's do that now with one voice and prayer together. Merciful God, we confess that our hearts are often full of deceit. You offer us counsel and instruction, but we do not listen to your word. You offer us wisdom and peace, but our stubbornness, pride, and short tempers keep us from true understanding. Like the prodigal son, we can run after things that do not satisfy. Forgive our wayward hearts. Like the elder brother, we can be self-righteous and ungrateful. Forgive our hard hearts. Restore us, O God. Be our hiding place. Preserve us from trouble. Surround us with glad cries of deliverance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Right. So even if you didn't read those texts, the parable of the prodigal son is getting woven into your prayer of confession. You see how that... So it's putting Scripture on people's lips. It's putting themes from Scripture itself. After the sermon, let's say we were going to affirm our faith together. So this is from um, 2 Corinthians. Again, the same Sunday. Church, what do we believe concerning our new position in Christ? Together, we believe that if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. We believe that God has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We believe we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making His appeal through us. For our sake, we believe that God made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So we're just affirming our faith right, right from Scripture. All right, so this is just a lie. This is a video from an actual Sunday. This is from March 13th. It would have been the second Sunday in Lent. Um, the call to worship is based on Psalm 27, and then the prayer that you'll see me pray is from Genesis 15 and Psalm 27. But this will just give you an idea of a little bit of the flow of how this can take place in your service. Well, good morning, Covenant Church. It is time to come and uh, to worship the Lord together on this Sunday morning. And uh, before we do, I just want to um, just say a, a word of welcome. It's great to have Mark Hand visiting with us all the way from Orlando this morning. Uh, it's great to have him just still connected with us. Uh, uh, the Hand family uh, moved to Orlando a couple months ago, and they're getting settled there, but it's great to have you with us, brother. Hey, church, why don't you go ahead and stand. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. If you're online, we're so glad you're engaged in that way. And let's begin to orient and direct our hearts uh, to the Lord this morning. I'll uh, lead us in this call to worship from Psalm 27 this morning. The psalmist sings, One thing I ask the Lord, that will I seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple together. 
I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Church, let's do that now this morning. Sing out and put your hands together on this first song. name. Amen, church. Let's join our voices now, Lord, as we, as we have sung of the joy of being in the house of the Lord, that there is power in his name. We also stand on the shoulders of all the saints that, has gone, that have gone before us. We join in their own narrative and story, and we can apply it to our own lives. This morning, let's join our voices as we pray from Genesis 15 together with one voice, church. Faithful God, we know we can trust in you and your word to us. In spite of his bleak circumstances, you promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens, and that promise was fulfilled. Fill us with faith to look beyond the impossible and to trust in your mighty provision and care. You are our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You are the stronghold of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid? Fill us with strength and courage as we wait on you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just go to God. Ask him to fill you with faith this morning. You may have a what looks like an impossible circumstance in your life right now. He is more than able to meet our every need. Won't you go to him this morning? All right, so that just gives you, again, if you just, um, again, this is just our context, but kind of how that flow can move from, uh, you know, call to worship, songs of praise, didn't have on there, but then in that time of that prayer, that scripture-based prayer of renewal or confession, you can also have some time for extemporaneous prayer or time of silence for them to respond in their own way and then respond in song, that sort of thing. I had a couple of video, another video of just some um, affirmations of faith, but I, I don't know for time's sake I'm going to show that. It's just Let's uh, use Ephesians 1. Just like what we did earlier. In these gospel promises, I'll pose the question and then we'll respond together. Church, what do we believe concerning our spiritual blessings in Christ together? We believe that the God and, and Father of that, our right? Lord Jesus Christ. And I also used, um, I think it was Psalm 145, some beautiful words there. But I want to hit this last one. I've just got last. These will be very brief and then I'll open up for some questions. Annual Guide for Stewarding God's Story, Weekly Guide for Planning Corporate Worship. Thirdly, um, the lectionary, and I think this lectionary journey book, can be a steady rhythm for spiritual formation. So two quotes here. Actually, this first one from Tom Shawanda. I love this. The strengths of the lectionary actually exert a dynamic, silent force. The more Christians gather around the scripture, the stronger they grow in Christ. While initially this trend may not be easily detected, with time it will disseminate a formative influence, much like yeast does to a piece of dough. It has a leavening effect, okay? And then Robert Weber, the church has been entrusted with the meaning of all time. The world does not know the meaning of its own history, but the church does. Through the discipline of the Christian year, the church proclaims the meaning of time in the history of the world. So we help 
put meaning to time itself, right, for our people. The leavening power of the election. Here are just some practical ways I've seen this play out. So on Monday night, after dinner with our family, we got just four of us. Each of us will read one of the lectionary readings. We'll read the prayer, maybe have one of my girls read the affirmation of faith. And we just spend a little bit of time there in the word. On Wednesday night, I use it um, with our small group. I mentioned we lead two different small groups. Uh, we'll read the four scriptures for that coming Sunday. I'll read the devotion that I'd written that Monday, again, which are now available online. I'm hoping to have those published in the next year or two as well. Um, but it's getting our small group around it. And then by Sunday, I'm coming in, and I've been marinating on these scriptures all week long, right? As a f- in personal family devotion time, small group Bible study. You can use verbiage um, on the seasons to frame your services. You can use them as worship aids. And then lastly, I believe it can be a great ecumenical resource that fosters community within the body of Christ. So the lectionary connects us with the larger body of Christ. Utilizing this resource may open up doors and encourage you to identify other churches in your local community that follow the RCL. So you might, you know, connect with some other people that use it, that are starting to see it as a great resource and connect with them. You might find people around the country and you could do some weekly Zooms or that sort of thing. As I put that uh, handout back there, you can check if you'd like to... um, if you'd be interested in a weekly Zoom as a follow-up to this and maybe beyond. But um, lastly, just, and this is on your sheet too, just some various resources, the Revised Common Lectionary, Revised Common Lectionary Prayers, Feasting on the Word series, Connections, Sundays and Seasons, Book of Common Worship, Book of Common Prayer, Worship in the Shape of Scripture. Um, I do have a book there in the back that PNR recently published called Calls to Worship, um, Invocations and Benedictions, written by Ryan Kelly. So he's in a PCA church, and again, that was published by PNR. I've got a copy you can look at, and then one called When We Gather. These are just a few, just as you start to maybe explore this area. And then finally, at the back table, I'm going to go there um, after we finish some Q&A and uh, all kinds of resources that you can have back there. Guys, thanks for your time. I hope this uh, seminar has been, been helpful, encouraging to you. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.